Welcome to the SCG Church Young Adults Podcast, where we get to bring you sermons and content to help bring you closer to Jesus, develop your faith, and keep you up to date with everything young adults. Join us Sunday nights at 7 p.m. in the SCG Church Warehouse for our young adult service, or at our main campus services. We hope you enjoy. I want you to go to the book of Jonah with me. We are going to be uh, taking four or five weeks going through the four chapters uh, in the book of Jonah. And uh, really quick, raise your hand if you ever heard of the story of Jonah, right? What's the most famous part of the story of Jonah? Yeah, the whale, the fish, the whatever. He was swallowed by something. Yeah, we're going to be journeying through all that, and I'm really excited because um, I love this book. I'm reading a book by uh, Tim Keller. Um, if you guys know who Tim Keller is, he is uh, a pastor. He's like a theologian, a philosopher. He has since passed, but he was brilliant. And he has a book called The Prodigal Prophet. And so um, we're going to talk a lot about the similarities between Jonah and actually Jesus. Uh, uh, Jonah was in the, in the belly of a fish for how many days? Three days, right? Jesus was uh, in the grave for how many days? And then resurrected, right? And so there's actually a lot of similarities. That's just one. But there's about 27 or so similarities really between Jonah and Jesus. Um, and so uh, there's a lot we're going to learn. Now, before we hop into where I want to go with you guys today, I'm going to give you a question. If you know Jonah's story... You know that one of the characteristics of Jonah is that dude was a runner, right? He ran away from what God wanted and willed for his life. And like Jonah, and like you, and like me, we have all had seasons and moments in our lives where we have ran away from God. But to set up our talk tonight, I'm going to give you a question. Have you ever ran away from home before, all right? Like you packed your bags and you're like, you know what? You're six years old. Like, I'm out of here, right? And you decided to go to the neighbor's house, to your backyard, to the local park. And then six hours into it, you went... I don't know how to make food, uh, and I don't like leaves, so I went back home, right? But do you have a story where you ran away from home? I'm going to give you guys 60 seconds or so. Turn to some people. Ready, set, go. Um, so you know what's funny is I was thinking about this this last week about running in my life and different times I've both ran away from God but also ran away from mom and dad, right, because of whatever reason, right? And I was thinking about that as a kid. I realized that when we run, it's so much about the away that we haven't really like figured out the two. You know what I'm saying? Like it's always getting away but we have yet to figure out the destination in which we are landing uh, or the destination in which we're going, right? And that really is not just synonymous of us running away as a kid but also us running away um, from God. It's so much about the away that we've yet to figure out the destination, and that's problematic. When I was uh, six years old, I was fed up. I don't know why, but honestly, I was fed up with something. Maybe my mom uh, didn't let me eat Pop-Tarts for dinner every night, or she didn't make the Easy Mac like I like it, or whatever. And so I, I, uh, I remember writing her a note on some trumped-up charges and neglect and whatever, and I put it on the, the refrigerator, and I was like, I'm out of here, right? Six years old, I get my Rugrats backpack, uh, throw an apple in there, and like, I don't know, some Pop-Tarts, it's an easy Mac that I didn't know how to cook, and uh, I was out. So I get out the front door, and I'm like, where am I headed to? You know, I'm like, you know, six years of age. And I realized it was that, that same week, my parents got a refrigerator or a washer or a dishwasher. Some big box was delivered to our house. That's all I remember. And I was like, that's going to be my new home. And it was in the side of our house. So in my Rugrats backpack was my dad's portable DVD player. If you guys aren't even close to my age, you have no idea what that is, right? It's before iPads and technology. And so uh, I, I went into the backyard or the side of the yard, and I, I went inside this, uh, this little box, and I opened up my, my, my little DVD player, and I'm just sitting there. I don't know, 30 minutes goes by, and all of a sudden, I hear that my dad starts to mow the lawn. He's mowing the lawn, mowing the lawn, mowing the lawn. And all of a sudden, I hear, like, he's, I can tell he's emptying out all the lawn clippings, right, into something. And it was a trash can. And he brings the trash can over, and not knowing that I was in the box, dumps all the lawn clippings inside this box. And now I'm thinking, like, 
Okay, now, now this, is, this hasn't gone well for me, right? Like, like now I'm covered up in dog poop and in, in lawn clippings, right? And I was thinking about this story this last week, thinking when we run away, like I said earlier, it's so much about the way that we often run into illogical situations and destinations that are problematic and kind of get us into trouble. When we run away, it's so much about the away that we don't really think much about the two. Tonight, I'm going to give you really a handful of, um, I'm going to give you three. I'm going to give you three really points. But before we get to all those, let me ask you a question, and this is more of an internal question. I don't want you to answer it out, out loud. But just how, how many of us have actually ran away from God before? Now, running away from God, right, it's not like you actually, you know, you, you packed your bag and you're like, I'm leaving church. Now, for some people, it is, right? For some people, they had a bad um, interaction at a young adults group, at a high school group, at a middle school group, or in a kid's department somewhere. Um, they uh, got to see the inner workings of a pastor's life and thought that maybe that pastor wasn't who they proclaimed to be publicly, and maybe this whole Jesus thing's not for me. Um, or whatever it may be, right? But running away from God can look uh, different for all of us, but there are some similarities. And I think when most people run away from God are really in the predominant age group that I get the opportunity to work with. And so I've been um, a student ministries pastor here for a while. I've been working in student ministries, next-gen ministry, since uh, June 11th, 2011, so before some of you guys were born. And uh, <laughs> I've been here for a while, right? And uh, I realize uh, that it is often between really high schoolers and uh, and in young adults that I see most people running away from God into something else, right? Running away from God is when you think you know better. Like, I think I know better than God. Or uh, when you think you know enough about God, that if you were to ask God, what's your will for my life, in insert a scenario with this dating this person, going to this school, pursuing this occupation, or this degree, or whatever it may be, you kind of know what God would say so you don't ask most often, people run away from God so they can no longer feel guilty about adjusting their lifestyles. I'm going to say this again because this is pivotal. Most high school students that I know, most young adults that have filled this room or, or next door, they run away from God so they don't feel guilty about adjusting their lifestyles. I'll give you a, a story. A few years ago, I had a conversation with a high school student um, that uh, at the time was a junior. Now, this high school student, uh, go back four years into this, this person's past, or three years, back when they were in seventh and eighth grade, they were super plugged into junior high. I could count on this kid being here, right? I could count on this kid. He would even come like after hours and he'd be in the office uh, cutting things out and making graphics and other things like that, right? This kid was super involved. But come high school, he completely like abandoned his relationship with God and, and I hadn't seen him for years. Well, I ended up running into him, and uh, I remember asking him, hey, dude, uh, are, you, are, you still, are you still have a relationship with God? And he went, ah, oh, Matt, you're going to hate this, and uh, I'm one of those kids that you always talked about. I'm like, what is, what is one of those kids always talked about? He's like, you know, that we were kind of plugged in, and now we're not. Oh, so tell me what's going on, dude. Like, like, tell me what the last three years of your life have been like. Well, ninth grade, uh, eighth grade summer, going into ninth grade, uh, I started drinking, and then 10th grade, you know, I started smoking, and 11th grade, I got in a relationship, and I'm having sex. Like, I appreciate the honesty. Uh, normally, people aren't this upfront about how, uh, uh, what they're doing in their lives, right? And I said, well, let me tell you, do you still believe in God? And he went, no, I don't really think so. Maybe, maybe there is a God that created everything, but he doesn't really care about our life. He's not, like, involved in the day-to-day -day things and doesn't intimately or intricately care about me and know things about me. So it's kind of a deist view is, is the one that he's prescribing to. There's a great cosmic creator, but doesn't really care about his creation. He's like, yeah, yeah, that, that's probably what I, I believe in. I said to him, okay, may I ask you a question? Is it at all possible, and this is an important question, is it at all possible that you adjusted your theology so you no longer feel guilty about adjusting your lifestyle? I'm going to say it again. Is it at all possible you adjusted your theology, that which you believe to be true about God, so you no longer felt guilty about adjusting your lifestyle? And he just stood there for a second and went, 
I didn't think of it that way. That, that, that could be true. You know, maybe for you, right? Maybe running from God, you, you ran away from God for a similar reason, right? You got into a relationship. That's what mostly happens. I'll be real with you. I've been doing this long enough to know that when one of um, you single people get into a relationship, all of a sudden it's like, where'd they go? It's like, oh, they got in a relationship. That's what happened. And then they break up, and then they're here sitting in the front. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't pointing out to anybody. Uh, they're engaged, so they're fine. Uh, <laughs> right? But that's normally what happens, right? Or maybe for you, um, uh, you decided, uh, you know what really needs to be a priority of mine? Um, schooling. That, that needs to be the number one, because that's what society has said. Or I need, to, I need to pursue a career, right? And so what's the first thing? The first thing that goes is normally our, our well, Sunday nights is kind of like I got to do homework because 11.59, all those papers are due on turn it, whatever the website you guys use now, right? And so you're like, ah, oh, I'll skip out on church because like, I, have, I have things I need to do, right? Most often, it's our relationship with God, that the community that we have with believers that goes off our list. But what does Paul say in the book of Romans, chapter 12? Do not conform to the pattern of this world. There is a predetermined pattern, a way in which you should operate, a way in which society says, this is what it looks like for you to attain success, for you to be wholesome and have success. And so don't do it. It's a sinking ship. You're going to invest and you're not going to get a return. And so I want to challenge us as we talk about this, as we think about running away from God to a career, to what we deem as success. Maybe, just maybe, we're not, we gain by choosing a career and success, we actually lose out in a deepening relationship with God, which of your, the totality of your life is what's really actually important. The reality is I think we've all run from God for similar reasons. And so some of us, we just don't want to be told what to do. Others of us, others of us, we're afraid that if we surrender to God, we're going to lose out on something good, that relationship, that opportunity, whatever it is. And so what we, what we neglect is Sunday nights, Sunday morning at a church, volunteering, or whatever it may be. Now, for the next few weeks, we're going, to, uh, we're going to talk about this issue, and we're going to be kind of, uh, to take us along this issue, to guide us on this, this chronicle, this journey, we're going to be uh, looking at the life of very, one very famous runner, a man named Jonah. Now, when I say Jonah, you probably think of a few things, right? Um, if you grew up in church, you think of VeggieTales, for sure. Um, uh, if you uh, didn't grow up in church, and you're not really a believer, but you're here because that one girl you find attractive here. Whatever reason you're here, I'm glad you're here. But uh, <laughs> um, you probably think of a fairy tale, right? You're probably like, okay, dude, like that, that seems like an entirely like fictitious story. But paradoxically, as I've studied the story this last week, um, I found that, that his story and our stories, they all intersect. Because at one point of another, like I've said, we've all ran away from what God has asked us to do. Now, some of you are saying, look, Matt, you surely, you, you seem like a semi-intelligent individual. Uh, you, you, you can't really believe this story, or rather you want me to believe this story that took place a billion years ago or whatever, actually 2,750 years ago, um, and that, that, this, that some dude was actually swallowed by like some like beluga whale or whatever, and that somehow stayed inside his stomach for three days, right? And so if you're here tonight and you're having a, a hard time swallowing the story, <laughs> is that worst fun? That just came to me, that was fire. Uh, <laughs> that was a good pun. Uh, you guys should write that down. Um, Right, if you have a hard time like digesting the story, you have a hard time believing the story, let me give you a few, uh, I'm going to keep going with them, it's going to be all night. Uh, I'm going to give you like four facts really quick. Number one, fact number one is this, uh, the story doesn't take place in the context of a fairy tale, but it takes place in history. Two, a big part of this story takes place in a city called Nineveh, an ancient city that was real. Now, if it took place in Narnia, you could go, yeah, dude, that doesn't sound like a real place, right? But Nineveh is a real historical place. Three, we know Jonah actually lived because there's extra biblical writings about a man named Jonah, that went to a place called Nineveh. 
and fleet and a bunch of other stuff we'll uncover today. And then finally, um, Jesus, 750 years after the story of Jonah was penned, talks about Jonah. And if you are a believer in Jesus, Jesus, the dude that we follow, God in Abad, that guy, he believed in the story of Jonah. Therefore, we have good reasons to believe in the story of Jonah. We can also make the argument, by the way, that if you believe in a cosmic creator, a God that created everything ex nihilo, out of nothing, right, this God that created everything could figure out a way to keep a man alive in a fish for three days. I'll give you an example. There's a um, kid who was in my life group, um, now joined the Navy, um, and he's probably, I don't know, he's probably 24, 25 now, and I've known this kid since he was in sixth grade. He was in my junior high and high school small groups. Um, He is a nuclear engineer on a submarine, and he comes to young adults occasionally um, when he's you know, back in town and, and not, you know, from, on break from being in the Navy. And uh, he told me a story, um, actually, we were standing right here, about how he's been underwater for sometimes three to six months, like not even seeing, like, vitamin D for, <laughs> for six months. It's wild, right? And I was thinking about that this last week, and I was thinking in juxtaposition to the story of Jonah. If we, human beings, can create systems with reverse osmosis, oxygen scrubbers, and a plethora of other things, and, dial, and, and, and ways in which to develop, get oxygen from seawater... And that's our human mind. We've figured out a way to keep people underwater for three to six months. It's logically consistent and probable that the creator of the universe could figure out a way to creatively make a man live inside a fish for three days and three nights, right? So if we can do that, I think it's probable to say that God could also figure out a way to make that happen, right? So here's a story. Uh, it begins with uh, Jonah, a man named Jonah. He was a prophet. Now, prophets' jobs were hard because they had to go to difficult places to deliver a message that no one wanted to hear. As kids, we call these people parents, right? Constantly telling us things we didn't want to hear. But um, God told Jonah to go to this place called Nineveh and uh, tell Nineveh a message that they didn't want to hear. And that was that God is heated, right? God is, God is mad at you. Now, one thing uh, that Jonah knew about Nineveh that you may not know about Nineveh is Nineveh had the gold medal for skinning people alive. They were fantastic at taking little razor blades and completely flaying a person alive and sustaining them the longest. They were incredible at torturing their enemies, right? So God says, yeah, hey, uh, Jonah, uh, son of Amittai, look, I want you to go to Nineveh. Yeah, that place that's really good at torturing people. That's the place. I want you to tell them that the God that they don't even believe in is angry at them. And if they don't turn and repent from their evil ways, I, the God they don't believe in, will massacre them, will end their civilization. And Jonah, like you, and Jonah, like me, said, nope, <laughs> I'm not doing that at all, right? You can imagine he's terrified, but he says, no, I'm not going to do that at all. Now, look, God, I still believe in you. I'm probably going to church like a few Sunday nights out of the month, but I'm just not going to do what you want me to do with my life. <laughs> That's our story sometimes, right? God, I feel like you're tugging me this way, but like, I want to go that way, right? Now, this idea, it repulses Jonah. Why? Well, low-key, he was super racist. <laughs> he hated the Assyrian people. And honestly, not that racism's ever appropriate and good, but he had good reason to have a distaste for these people because the Assyrians slaughtered Jews all throughout history. They were mortal enemies with each other. So what would this be like in today's culture? It'd be like um, uh, God say, coming to you and saying, I want you to save all the ISIS members, <laughs> you know, like whatever, uh, or, or whatever, right? And you're like, uh, I don't know if I, you know, like, I, mean, I would like them to turn of, and repent of their sin, but like, uh, you know, like you're kind of, they've done some horrible things. I want, the, I want justice to, 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 to be enacted, X, Y, and Z, right? Now, what's so crazy about this story and why the subheading here is, if you can see it, uh, the relentless love of God, is God who sees everything. 
In the book of Hebrews, it says, for all lay naked and exposed to the eyes of him until we must give an account. In other words, every secret sin you've ever, every Google, everything you've ever typed into Google, every Snapchat you've ever sent, every thought you've ever had lays bare before God who sees everything. So God who sees all of the evil things the Assyrian people have ever thought, acted, and did still is offering them love, grace, the ability to repent because he doesn't want to destroy them. It's crazy. So with that, go with me in your Bibles to the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to cover most of one today. Uh, we're going to cover all of one today and one verse and two. It says this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, the city of Nineveh in the ancient world was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and it was the most populated, largest city in the ancient world. It is uh, what, the, what Tokyo is today, the largest city um, uh, to the ancient world. That's what Nineveh was. It was a huge city and the, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarsh. Tarsh was uh, um, east of Israel in modern-day Spain, actually at the tip of Spain. If you've ever been to Spain, you've been probably close to Tarsh. And... Um, Here's what's interesting about this. If you actually saw a map, I should have brought a map. Um, Tarsh is literally the farthest place in the known world. Like they thought that the world like ended in like off a cliff and Tarsh was the farthest place. It is metaphoric, symbolic um, for running away from God to the farthest place he possibly could. It was like as if God said, go here and he went to Las Vegas. So the farthest place that he, he possibly could in the ancient world, right? As, as far as he possibly could, right? And um, he went to this place because he didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. And like I said earlier, that's part of our story. God said, look, I want you to go in that direction. And you're like, but I want to go in that direction. God said, look, I want you to stay away from her or him. And deep down you said, but I flirt to convert, right? There was something about you thought, I'm going to win them over. I'm going to win them over, right? Each of us have a segment in our lives where we decided we're going to do what we want to do, just like Jonah, right? Go with me in the next verse. It says this. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for the port. After, I want you to highlight, paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarsh to flee from the Lord. My, uh, my favorite words from this passage are after paying the fare. I was doing a commentary on this, and it kind of dawned on me. Jonah had the resources to run away, like he did. Maybe he even felt like God blessed him with the resources to be disobedient, like to go in a direction contrary to the one that he had asked him to go. But here's the interesting thing. It says, after paying the fare, when you run away from God, number one, there's two things. Number one, you never get where you're supposed to be. Number two, you always pay your own fare and it costs you more than you would ever thought. However, when you go God's way, you not only get where God wants you to go, but he ends up paying the fare. And I guess when you think about it, in Jonah's case, he even takes care of the transportation, which we'll find in the next few verses. This is this. Actually, before we jump to the next verse, let me give you a few ideas here. The first point I want you guys to know is that when people run away from God, they always run into dangerous situations. Jonah decides he's going to get on a boat, not just any boat. By the way, boats like in the modern world, pretty safe. Maybe there's some sketchy waters like the Bermuda Triangle. I'm still iffy about that place. I'm probably not taking a boat or an airplane over that, right? But, you know, but a boat in the ancient world, like have you ever seen like a there's like this YouTube short going on right now where there's like this like sailor music. Have you seen this? And there's these boats and there's this like huge waves, right? And it's like the, this weird like, like dramatic music, you know what I'm saying? Uh, can you imagine being like on a boat that's like, I don't know, from that wall to that wall? There's like eight people on it and the waves are cracked. Like it's, it's not it. So he goes on a boat that is basically through the ancient Bermuda Triangle. It is the most dangerous, treacherous waters and even today, but especially in the ancient world, 
from, one, from Joppa to Tarish, it was the most dangerous trajectory to go. And it is the longest time that you could be on a boat in the ancient world. And he goes, that's it. That's like you and me, like learning to ski and deciding my first time I'm going skiing on Mount Everest, right? It's not a good idea, right? In fact, history tells the tale of most people dying in the same from Joppa to Tarish. It was so dangerous that most people would die. Now, the price of this voyage would have also been really great. However, the price for running away from God is always greater than you would ever expect. So whether your name is Jonah or not, make sure that you and I are on the journey that God wants, or he's going to bring a storm in your life because he loves you to reroute you, and you're going to have to learn the hard way. But I guess the thing that I, I, I realize in a lot of our lives, you don't have to learn the hard way. You don't have to date idiots. You don't have to spend your freshman and sophomore year in college studying a degree that you didn't consult God in. And therefore, when it comes to your junior or senior year, you went, I should have done that. Shouldn't have gotten that relationship. Because now I'm wounded in some capacity in a way. Now I need to go talk to a therapist, which is fine, by the way. I've been in therapy for many years. Because I'm a mess, and that's okay. And you are too. <laughs> Let's pray. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> imagine it's close service like that. Um, so yeah, so in my time as a pastor, <laughs> I, uh, I've learned that a lot of people... They ruin their life by running from God. Look, I've seen people uh, run from God and get divorced. I've seen young adults run from God and get married haphazardly. Um, I've, seen, uh, I've seen people run away from God and get into debt, right? You know, as an outsider, watching these people, all I can think is, how can you not see that you're about to ruin your life? How can you not see that you're running from God? You're not running to something, to a goal, to a vision of life. You're running away. How can you not see that? These people are running on impulses, running on, on fumes and running from God to something they think is going to be more fulfilling, but in the end, it will leave you drowning. That's actually the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. It's that Jesus meets you at your well. And it's the story of, of that we all have a well in our life, something we think we're going to go to that's going to fill our life and our hearts and our, and our joys and our satisfaction, but it just leaves us more empty. And that's why Jesus says, if you drink of my well, you'll never thirst again. In other words, if you build your identity in me, I can, I, I can give you stability, strength, and peace, but also the filling of your heart by being, in a, by being in a relationship with me. I can give you peace. I can give you what you actually are looking for. And so I, we've all had people in our lives, right, where, where we go like, how can you not see that you're making certain decisions, that you're obviously running away from God, and you're running into treacherous waters. So in juxtaposition to that, the next verse is really interesting. There's the three most powerful words, maybe in the entire story, and they're so powerful that, that, uh, that they're included a few times in the story. It says this in verse 4, then the Lord, then the Lord. See, the truth is when you run away from God, you too will also have then the Lord moments. Many of you know the story, so I'll do it very quick, but I was thinking about this last week. What was a then the Lord moment in mind? And the biggest one that has come to my mind is the one I've, I've shared with you guys before, but it was January 1st, 2011, right? I'm hungover. I had turned 14. I turned 14. I've turned, uh, uh, yeah, I started drinking in fifth grade, so yeah, I've been all right. Um, I turned 18 four days before that, and um, I decided I was going to drink on New Year's, December 31st, 2010. I'm hungover. I'm, 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 I'm throwing up in a bush with alcohol poisoning, and I felt like God knock on my heart and go, Look, you idiot, uh, <laughs> are you done? Are you done running, trying to manufacture a life for yourself? Are you done hanging out with these people that aren't going to lead you to the life that I have for you? Are you done? Are you done with this? Will you allow me to step in and tell you about the plan that I have for your life that's so much better than this? And I said, yeah, and that was the last sip of alcohol I ever had. In that moment, 
where I listened to my then the Lord moment change the trajectory of my life forever. The point is when we all run away from God, you will have a then the Lord moment in your life. You just need to be willing to see them. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Go with me to continue in verse 4 or 5. It says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. This is super important. Highlight this. All the sailors, 100% of the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. This came to me while I was studying this um, today. I was going through my notes. All the sailors, it says, because Jonah was in disobedience, out of alignment with God's will for his life, there was spillover to the people that had nothing to do with his disobedience. What's the life lesson for you and me? If you surround yourself with people who are running away from God, distancing themselves from God, living in disobedience, their storm will suck you into it. But there's another part to the story. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship, meaning that whenever you run from God or you're surrounded by people who are running from God, it will cost you too. Look, this ship was a cargo ship. They will not get paid from, from, from Joppa to Tarish if they get to Tarish with none of the cargo that they were supposed to have. All the Porsches and Rolexes and Samsung TVs were out in the water, right? <laughs> this is literally a cargo. They are saying, take, take all of our, our resources, take all of the money that we were supposed to have, dump it in the water because they're now freaking out. Verse 5 and 6, but Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The dude is snoozing. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Isn't it obvious you are going to get hurt? Isn't it obvious that this is going to end badly for if you don't do something? Isn't it obvious that this ship is sinking? How can you sleep? Verse 6, get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice on us so that we will not perish. Point two is this. Runners are often the very last to make the connections of cause and effect. Runners are the last people to make the connections of cause and effect. I'll say it this way. Runners are the last to make the connection between running away from God and the disaster they set up for themselves while they run. The last. Now, as an outsider, you probably had friends, family members, where you can see the stupid things they're doing, and you know they're going to pay for it, but they don't see the connection. They're like blind to it. They're like, dude, you're dating this. How do you not see this is going to end where you're going to cross boundaries you never wanted to cross? You're going to end up hating them in three years' time, whatever it may be, how can you not see that you are running and the effect of it is the reason that a disaster that you are in currently? Whether it be they started dating these people, hanging out, with these, hanging out with these people, whatever it is, you connect the dots clear as day and they can't even see them. And Jonah like you and Jonah like me and Jonah like um, us can't connect the dots when we're running. He doesn't see how this storm is directly connected to him running away from God. Now, maybe... Just maybe, you're here tonight, and you're in a storm of some sort. It's because in some area of your life, you are living in disobedience. And because God loves you, which is one of the themes of what we're going to be talking about over the next four or five weeks, because God loves you, he allows a storm to come into your life for a specific reason, to wake you up and to alert you to some danger. So maybe, maybe you're here today, and you're like, my life is not going the way I wanted it to. And truthfully, I'm not actually, I don't have a meaningful and deep relationship with God, and life is becoming a little more challenging. I'm a little more empty this season of life than I've been in others. Maybe. Maybe you're here for a reason, and you're in a storm for a reason, to wake you up, to alert you to some danger. So back to the story, the captain goes to Jonah, wakes him up, and has him call on his God to see if his God can help. And um, we're going to skip the verses, but um, they basically interrogate him on the ship's deck. They ask him a bunch of questions. Verse 9 is the answer to that. He says this, 
I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea. And I love that they include this, the dry, the dry land. Because you're probably thinking he said that. He's like, ah, oh, I wish I still was on that dry land, right? Verse 10. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Let me, uh, let me preach at you for a moment. Every single one of us needs someone in our lives to say the very same thing, what have you done? And that's because all of us naturally are runners. And we need people to speak wisdom into our lives and hold us accountable. Like, no, you shouldn't leave this church because of this reason, it's unbiblical. Or no, you shouldn't date that person because they're not healthy. Or more importantly, they're not a follower of Jesus. The truth is we all need godly people in our lives who can tell us the truth and that we submit to because we see them as a spiritual authority in our life. This is vital because if you don't have people in your life that you submit to, you see as a spiritual authority, you will lead yourself by yourself into destruction. Make a commitment as a young adult not to lead yourself by yourself. I'll give you a silly example of this. Um, I have a, a mentor in mine. I'll just give you in a category of my life. I have a plethora, but one in the financial category. His name's Richard. And um, when I was buying my wife's car, um, I was at the dealership, and I don't know anything about interest rates and X, Y, and Z, you know. So I, I give him a call with, with, uh, at the car dealership um, with the guy trying to sell me the car right there. And I go, hey, here's the, lo- here's the loan details. Here's X, Y, and Z. Um, is this a good move for me, um, like financially? And he said, you're poor. Not as he said that. But, uh, 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 and I said, here's the loans details. Here's how much it's going to cost a month, X, Y, and Z. And he said, yeah, you can do that. Now, if he would have said no, I would have walked out that day because I submit this arena into my life so that he can evaluate because he's further along. He has more wisdom, discernment, and he cares for me, right? Do you have people like that that are going, hey, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be with that person. You should stop hanging out with that group of people. Hey, when was the last time you fasted? When was the last time you really sought the Lord? You invited him into your life. Hey, I haven't seen you at church in a while. What's going on? Do you have people like that in your life? Because if you don't, you'll lead yourself by yourself, and that's problematic. Verse 11. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Verse 12. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied. It'll become calm, and I know it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. You can imagine, right? So there's this like, just like, just crazy waves, right? And he goes, I got it. You got to toss me into the water. They're like, what? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. You want us to toss? That's going to that's gonna make this better? And he's like, no, for real. Throw me into the water. As I was thinking about this this last week, it kind of dawned on me that I think this action of him being tossed overboard and verbally expressing this is what you need to do is actually an example of really true repentance. Because it illustrates, by the way, let me define what the word repentance means. It's an old churchy term. It means to do a 180. I'm going in this direction and I see that it's outside of the will God has for my life. I acknowledge that. Father, forgive me for going that way. Empower me by your spirit. Give me the strength to walk in the trajectory that you have for me. That's what repentance means, right? But it illustrates that repentance is not really a matter of the It's not just a matter of the heart, but it's also a matter of action. He actually did something. It wasn't like, God, I'm sorry. And like stayed on the boat, headed to the wrong direction. It was like, I get off here. Whatever the consequences are of getting out of this relationship, changing a, 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 an occupation, um, my degree, wh- whatever it is, I get off here. I, st- I, I go no more waves towards Tarsh. No more, I, no, I, I get off here, right? Verse 15 and 16. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Can you imagine how like 
straight up awkward this would have been, right? Like, he just doesn't sink. Like, he's just floating there. And, like, now it's just, you know, like, the sun, doves are flying. It was, like, crazy, right? Lightning, and now it's just peaceful. There's chirping. There's not a wave in the ocean now. He's just sitting there, like, bobbing. They, like, wave to him. He's like, <laughs> just like, this is, I like to think of, like, visually what this would have looked like. And then straight up out of nowhere, this massive fish just, just like this. Like, can you imagine being on the boat? Like, one of the eight guys on there, like, this the, what? Dude, he's got eaten by a shark. This is crazy, right? It continues. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And if you're like me, you go, duh. What else would you do, right? Can you imagine being Jonah? All of a sudden, you get gulped by this gargantuan fish or whatever, right? And you're sitting there, and somehow you're breathing. There's fish guts all around you. It smells like AMPM sushi, right? It's, it's, a, it's an intense environment. You can't see a thing, right? And somehow you're breathing, right? This is wild, right? So, of course, you would reach out to God. But it's at this moment, it's at this moment, Jonah realized what every runner eventually realizes. Point number three is this. You can run away from God, but you, can out, you cannot outrun God. The truth is you can run away from God in your life, in your relationships, and in your jobs, but you can't outrun the consequences of running away from your creator. I'm going to say this again. You cannot outrun the consequences of you running away from your creator. There will always come a day of reckoning. Another point I want to uh, point out that may be hard to swallow. I had to. I had to. Uh, if, I think if Jonah would, would have repented, I, I wouldn't have repented, I almost certainly think this would have been the end of his story. That his life and the life of those men, he would have died on that boat. Here's what this means. We know of Jonah because he decided to volitionally make the decision, send me overboard, I stop here. We would have never known the story of Jonah if he had decided not to repent in that moment. Here's what this means. We know the story of Jonah as a mighty prophet that went to Nineveh. We would have never known a story if he didn't repent. Here's what this means for you and me. You can miss God's plan for your life by manufacturing your own. I want to say this again, because I can think of nothing more sad in life to get to the end of your life and realize that God had you over there and you were over here, that the ladder of your life that you were building is leaning against the wrong wall. I can literally not think of something more tragic than you missing God's plan for your life by manufacturing your own. And I think it's easier for us to miss this plan than we think it is. Because I don't think God chases us. I think God waits for us to return to him. In fact, my, uh, my favorite story in scripture is the prodigal son. And if you know the story in Luke chapter 15, one of my highlights of the story is the father who's representative of God the father, the son, the runners, basically. The prodigal son is a runner. And the story ends, or the middle of the story is, is a father waiting for his son patiently. And when he sees his son come back with a humble heart, that's when the father gets up and runs to him, embraces him, right? And here's what this means. In both the story of the prodigal son and both the story of Jonah, we learn that God didn't run to Jonah or to the prodigal son to pay them back, but to win them back, to bring them back into a relationship with themselves or with himself. Because the reality is God is already, like if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus in here, you need to realize that if you are in a storm, it's because God loves you. It's not because he's, he's trying to bring condemnation into your life. I'll make it simple. Jesus got the punishment already. 
It would be unjust, judicially speaking, for God to punish you and simultaneously Jesus. When Jesus on the cross said, to telestai, paid in full is what it translates. It meant it's paid in full. And I would hate for us in seasons of us running to think that God just sits up there like this. That's not found anywhere in Scripture. Never. It's not found once in Scripture. I can't believe it. I can't wait to invite this season in tragedy and storm into your life. That's not the heart of God at all. And so if you are in a, in a difficult season in life right now, it's because God loves you. And he wants you to turn around because he has better things for you. And you're manufacturing your own way and it leads to less than. And so God may have a storm in your life, not to pay you back, but to bring you back, to wake you up to the fact that you are living in disobedience, trying to manufacture your own plan away from God. And he wants you to know that he's better at manufacturing a life than you are. I think of a, a little kid, right, trying to build a fort in his backyard. So he gathers some wood and some nails and a hammer and his dad's tool belt. And for hours in the backyard, he's, he's, he's hammering away, hammering away, hammering away, only to accomplish very little because the kid is six, let's say. The father, he ends up watching and he's just smiling, watching his son work and work and work and work away is a carpenter, pretty capable one, goes to his little boy and says, hey, I'd love to help you build this. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty capable and I can manufacture this fort and make it really awesome for you. And I would like to do it with you. And the son goes, ah, dad, I got it. I got it. You sure, son? Yeah, I got it. I got it. Are you sure? Yeah, I got it. So the father goes, okay. And so he steps back and just watches the son continue for hours and hours and hours. He's got, <laughs> at this time, his fingers are all bruised and bleeding because he doesn't know how to hit hammers and nails right. And made a pretty pathetic fort because he doesn't know what he's doing. The little boy, although trying his hardest, will never really build a fort that'll last or that even is going to be enjoyable and have good square footage, let's say. But if he were to make the one decision, the one major, one small decision of allowing the father to help him by giving up his material, his hammers, his screws, his nails, his tool belt, his tape measure, if he would be willing to give up all of that stuff, he could have a, a fort way better than anything that he could possibly ever imagine. The parallel that I'm making here is this, that if you want to experience a better life, I mean, the life that God has for you, one that's more enjoyable, one that has breathing room, one where you can experience a higher level of peace, that life will only ever come. It'll only ever come if you allow the Father to help you build your life. And so tonight as we wrap up, I want to encourage you that if you are running from God for whatever reason, one, you have to do two things. Number one, you have to acknowledge that you're running. I am actively living in disobedience. You know what that means in your life. And if you don't know, then I, literally in my prayer life today, just before I got here, I said, Lord, I cannot identify a clear way in my life that I'm actively running away, but I'm sure there's a way. So God, would I be cognizant of that? Would you bring uh, uh, to my mind and conviction in my heart a way in which I'm, I'm being disobedient, that I'm not honoring you? And I encourage you the same. If you're here today and you're like, I don't know how, I, I may, there, yeah, there's a clear area of disobedience. I'm in a relationship and we're, and we're not married and we're sexually active. That, that's clear, right? Um, I'm a consumer. I come to church every single week, but I'm not, I'm not volunteering anywhere. Like, I just consume. I don't, I don't participate in any sense of the way. I'll be honest with you. Scripturally, you're living in disobedience. Um, when it comes to your finances, when it comes to whatever it may be, I'm living in disobedience. You have to acknowledge that. And then two, you have to humbly turn back to him and say, God, okay, just like Jonah, where he acknowledged, yeah, I'm the problem here. 
throw me overboard. Repentance means not just the understanding and the acknowledgement that I'm living wrong. It actually means to change. So two, those are two things. Number one, acknowledge that you're running, if you are. And two, turn back to him. Put your arm around somebody and I'll pray for us. We'll get out of here. Father, today I thank you for this story. Because there are so many different seasons in my life where I've been running from you and I could not connect the cause and effect. But Lord, what the story teaches us is because you have good plans for us, just like Jonah thousands of years ago, you bring storms in our life, God, that win us back to bring us back to you because you have incredible mission-focused things, God, you have for our life. And so, Father, would we be cognizant of any area in our lives in which we are actively living in disobedience? And God, would your spirit convict us, God, to live the life, Father, you have for us? Lord, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to the SCG Church Young Adults Podcast. For more information about our services, events, and ways to get involved, head on over to scgchurch.org. Thanks again for listening.